Blog Talk Radio. Welcome to Mind Shifters Radio with the Forgiveness Doctor, Dr. Michael Rice. I'm Jeannie Rice, your co-host. Michael and I will share with you the wisdom of the ancient Aramaic internal process of forgiveness. We offer tools and support five days a week. We will support you in building a solid foundation within yourself to live in pure love in Aramaic Rachma. Michael is the author of Why Is This Happening to Me Again? For more information on Michael or myself or forgiveness, please visit www.whyagain.org. And now, your co-hosts, the Forgiveness Doctor, Dr. Michael and Jeannie Rice. Well, welcome to Mind Shifters Radio. Excuse that pause, but I could hear Jeannie talking in the background in the other room, but she's not coming through, so I'm not sure what happened. I hope that I'm coming through, that you can hear me all right. And we're honored. Yep, welcome. It's a delight. Oh, great. Well, we can hear you now, so why don't I turn it back over to you to, uh, to tell us what day it is and all. Well, it is Recovery Wednesday. May has come and gone, and so today is Wednesday, June the 1st. 2016 and our call-in number is 646-200-4169 press one and that puts you in queue to talk to us and we would love to hear your comments and your questions because that makes this your show and any of you that are on the switchboard that normally talk with us uh, like Gail or Dr. Indraki or Terry Bowling or any of those uh, if you're on there if you'd press one that'll throw you up to the top of the chart so I can turn you on and in the meantime welcome Michael Awesome. Welcome, everyone. We're honored. We're delighted that you're here to uh, to share this time with us. Recovery Wednesday. And a little different slant on recovery here than the world often gives it. Most people look at recovery as, oh, well, there's something wrong and I'm going to recover from it. Well, that's not it. What we're looking to do is to Think in terms of recapturing in recovery. So if you've ever held a newborn child, you've tasted the sweetness, the purity, the awesome presence of love that each of us is. And if we've lost that in our experiential world, then that's what we're looking to recover. And oftentimes the opportunity to recover that truth of our being comes when we enter into relationship. And you can see that the real purpose of relationship is to have that opportunity. You know, people will often say things like, well, you know, he or she just drove me to drink. What does that mean, they drove me to drink? Well, what it means is, I've been so successful at keeping my pain and trauma hidden from myself that I could pretend I didn't have any until I met them. 
Now, when I met them, it was wonderful. It was awesome. We had this strong affinity and attraction. The kids said the vibration, the vibes are really good here. There was a strong draw or attraction. And all too often that strong draw or attraction is an energetic resonance through matching bags of garbage. However, being very successful at hiding our garbage from ourselves and saying, you know, when I'm alone in relationship, I'm so happy. Everything is so, pardon me, when I'm alone and not in relationship, I'm so happy everything goes well. And then I get into relationship and boy, they just really muck up the works. Well, you know, we've got a question for you to ask yourself. How do I tell whether or not what I'm feeling is mine or not? I'm feeling it. Yes, exit relationships, and you can hide all your relationship dynamics from yourself. Enter relationships, and what happens? Well, you're going to get opportunities. You're going to get to see the parts of yourself that you need to see. And, of course, the forgiveness work, all of the work that we've developed, all of the 12-step work is all about moving through the things that we're able to hide from ourselves after a fifth of scotch or exiting and staying away from relationship, that the recovery happens through the mechanism removal. You know, when the only thing left is who you are, then the only thing you will experience and feel is who you are, and that is the awesome presence of love. So each new relationship begins with either mutual healing or mutually assured destruction. So people come together safely in each other's arms with this intense presence of love. And when that happens, each partner opens the veils of their own temples. One of the most meaningful inherent purposes in relationships is that the healing of the deepest hidden dynamics of one's generations begins when there is a vitality increase that comes through wondrous relationship. And what we tend to do, and you'll see this if you haven't seen our healing through relationships video yet, what you'll see and understand is that there's a thing called the file folder effect. And the file folder effect says this, when two thoughts fire in the mind at the same time, they become wired together. You know, let me give you an example. My favorite, you'll see this in the, the video if you watch it or they listen to the audio CDs. There are two files in your mind that unless you've heard me use this example, you probably haven't hooked together before, but you're going to hook them together now. And I'm going to offer that you have no choice about hooking them together unless, of course, you hang the phone up or cut off the source of your listening. If you follow through and listen to my voice, then what's going to happen is two different files that have probably never been hooked together before are going to resonate. And when they do, when they fire together, they wire together. So, so I'm going to ask you not to think about a purple alligator. And, of course, when you don't think about a purple alligator, what happens? Well... First of all, brain cells fire, relating to the word purple, relating to the word alligator. Now that those brain cells have fired forevermore, 
your mind will be impacted whenever the word purple or alligator comes forward or anything that resonates those. And when one fires, let's say, you know, tomorrow's show, I opened the show and I said, don't think about a purple. What would come up in your mind? Alligator. If 25 years from now I opened the show and said, don't think about a purple, what would come up in your mind? Maybe nothing. Maybe those brain cells have receded in their amplitude so far from awareness that you won't remember. But guess what? What's still going to be firing in your mind is alligator 25 years from now. It's interesting. The Aramaic language is the only language on the planet that I know of that has this understanding built into the language itself, the syntax of the language. And it, it tells us that there are unconscious dynamics that are impacting three things, perception, decisions, and behavior. Purple alligator, if you're in the presence of purple or alligator 25 years from now and you don't remember this radio show, there will still be an energetic impact from these brain cells firing. And so if I hook my brain's image up to what's firing, then whenever one file fires, the other has to fire at the same time. So if I walk into relationship with a genetic history and environmental experiences of pain and drama and trauma in my relationships, then what's going to happen is that sooner or later, you know, you put two people in the same room together long enough and often enough, and sooner or later they're going to step on each other's realities. So if I happen to step on your reality of fear or pain or hatred or rage or guilt, that's going to move. And if you're not in charge of your own mind, then what's going to happen is you're going to link that to your brain's image of me. Now, forevermore, when you're in my presence or think of me, that which you've hooked into your brain's image of me is going to fire. And so, if we go back to three-year-olds observing mom and dad and really traumatic relationship, and then in our first relationship, everything's wonderful and happy, and this partner resonates the brain cells of that three-year-old memory, then that painful memory comes up in the context of relationship. And all of a sudden, forevermore, when you're in the presence of that person, having hooked your file up, on pain to your brain's image of them in their presence, on some level, you'll experience that pain. It may be unconscious. It may not be an awareness at all, but it's going to affect your perception, decisions, and behavior. So people start out in relationships, and it's wonderful, and it's fun, and it's easy, and it's great. How my, isn't this awesome? And if they're unconscious of this file folder effect in relationship, and this person steps on their fear, their anger, their anguish, their hatred, their vengeance, their unresolved pain, trauma, drama, whatever, over a period of time, if each time something comes up, they just automatically, unconsciously hook it into their brain's image of that person, then all of those energetic patterns unresolved, though they have nothing to do with that person, will come into play whenever one thinks about or is in relationship with that person. 
So over time, all of a sudden, one morning, a person wakes up beside this other person, looks at them and says, what the hell am I doing here with you? I can't stand how I feel when I'm with you. I think I'll have a scotch. And one anesthetizes their pain. Instead of recognizing this person is no cause of what you're feeling within you, but is showing you that which you already hold within you. If you unconsciously hook item after item, emotion after emotion, energy after energy to your brain's image of this person, then sooner or later, if there's repulsion, then you're going to look at this person and there's going to be repulsion. And you're going to think the repulsion's got something to do with that person. But instead the intensity, the closeness, the increased vitality of relationships, in fact, is an awesome gift because it allows those things to surface. And as they surface, then you get the chance, instead of hooking them into your brain's image of them, you get the chance to forgive those things. So that's the awesome gift of relationship. So relationship is designed to support recovery. But if the deep, hidden generation's dynamic surface and we don't take responsibility for them, then it becomes the downfall of the relationship. And then add to that the understanding that through physical intimacy, through their coupling, there's an unwitting exchange of genetics. And through that exchange, each one gains reliable access to heretofore unavailable longstanding generational issues that each person in the relationship has probably spent most of their lives trying to avoid and not deal with. So there's literally an exchange of energetic information and the person you're in relationship with now has access to parts of your mind that you didn't know were there. You're unconscious and vice versa. You have access to theirs. So you'll notice once people have been around together for a while, All he or she has to do is turn their head the right way and up comes that energy in the partner. And the energy coming up in the partner, if they don't know any better, they hook it into their brain's image of their partner and they want to blame that person for what they're feeling. When in fact, the beauty is and the design, it seems, of the relationship is to show you everything in you that's unlike love. And if you will simply listen to the man James from the first century Aramaic New Testament. James says, stop your denial. If some sort of pain or trauma or upset or disturbance comes up in you, and watch your behavior, watch your language, because it will tell you what you now have the opportunity to heal. But if you live in denial, what you'll do is you'll look at that person, you'll say, and you made me... Excuse me, folks, nobody can make you. Embrace the wondrous opportunity that's been given to you. Ah, gee, out of this conversation, I'm feeling a lot of discomfort. I think maybe rather than talking about how you make me so uncomfortable and going and getting myself a drink or a coffee or a sugar bar or some sort of something to anesthetize myself, Ah, you know, out of this conversation, I feel discomfort. Maybe this is an opportunity for me to heal that form of discomfort in me. Thank you, partner, for showing me 
what I now have the opportunity to heal. And by the way, would you support me in doing that? I love a a quote that I came across recently from Carl Jung. I've shared it with you before, but we'll share it again because it's such a great reminder. People will do anything, no matter how absurd, in order to avoid facing their own soul. One does not become enlightened by imagining figures of light, but by making the darkness conscious. The purpose of relationship is to heal you, is to assist you in recovering. And you recover by stopping your denial, owning what's coming up in you, breathing, presencing love, asking for support, and letting go of what's coming up rather than tightening, locking down, holding on, holding the breath, holding your stomach, holding your fingers, holding your toes, holding everything closed so you don't have to feel what's going on with you. And Jung's reference to absurdities includes, it's not limited to, but it includes drugs, alcohol, sugar, rage, murder, war, junk food, entertainments of the world, you know, the the whole idea from uh, uh, Rome of the circus. That was all about keeping people drugged so they didn't have to feel what was going on inside of them. And every form of debauchery that you can imagine, that's one of the reasons why. And uh, thank you, Gail, for sharing with us the 12 steps of, of really looking at the character defects, really looking at sexual conduct, really looking at everything that I do. And if it's designed to keep me out of touch with and responsible for what's going on inside of me, then the gift of relationship is it reinforces and brings that energy forward. How do I tell if the energy I'm feeling is mine or not? I'm feeling it. So with the increased vitality of the space of relationships, genetic dynamics that have been hidden perhaps for many generations begin to surface. This person unwittingly is on the precipice of an opportunity perhaps not seen in a thousand generations. Perhaps not seen in a thousand generations. And the thousand generations that went before probably said, why are you doing this to me again? This is all your fault. And what you're feeling is no one's fault, including it's not your fault. It's just yours. When you realize it, then you get the opportunity. And the opportunity is always the same. It's the opportunity to learn forgiveness. It's the opportunity to learn to remove from yourself what never belonged there. What never belonged is any form of sadness, fear, rage, guilt, drama, or trauma. We were never designed for that. And so through relationship, one of the most powerful tools to take us to healing is the simple presence of someone who has been drawn to us, who knows how to show us what it is that we need to heal. A simple, powerful step in healing is when you want to curl your fist, when you want to tighten your jaw, when you want to hold your breath, is to stop and go, ah, what they did is about them, but this tightened fist, this held breath, this tightened jaw, is about me. This is my opportunity 
to let go of this painful energy and recover the truth of my being. If each partner in a relationship understands responsibility, the magnificent opportunity that's opening, and if they have the constructive tools for self-healing, the relationship will just move to heights of ecstasy that you just couldn't imagine. Now, be careful at this point, because when you hit one of these heights of ecstasy, you just hit a new level of vitality. Guess what's probably going to happen? If both of you are solidly in this new, connected, awesome, loving space, this new level of vitality, you know, maybe you just doubled your vitality between the two of you in this ecstatic union that you have. That increased vitality is going to show you the next deeper level of what you need to heal. And if you choose to use the tools. Now, if both are aware and use the tools, it gets to be a lot more fun. It gets to be a lot easier. They don't have to stand around and sulk with each other and blame each other and puke on each other. They can stop and go, oh, here's mine. Oh, here's another layer of mine. Oh, God, another layer of mine. Oh, let me breathe. Here's another layer of mine. And we get to work through those things. If only one partner has the tools and uses them, and if the second partner has some willingness, there'll be a drawn-out time where there'll be alternate conflict and sweetness and over time it will result in a happy life together if the only tools that each one has are destructive tools of blame projection hostility criticism fear and other abusive tactics tactics of control this once promising union will lead each to uncover their own hidden internalized hells Sure that one's partner is the cause of the experience of their own dissociated pain, one will run for their anesthetic. And it might be sugar. You know, I have one young lady that we've been talking to who, oh, I guess it's been over a month. And maybe she's out there on the show. And if she is, maybe she'd call in and just share a little bit about how it's been to totally clean her house out of sugar which, you know, in one conversation she shared with me that, you know, the memory that came as she started to clean sugar out of her life was that every time there was upset with dad, dad headed for the ice cream store. Candy, sugar, powerful, powerful drug that isn't thought of as a drug in this culture, but people are so addicted to it that we're at a point where people consume approximately 250 pounds a year of it, the average person in America. And that's to anesthetize and cover up these hidden internalized hells that we carry around with us. And if you refuse to own your dissociated pain, then you'll meet yourself over and over again in your brain's degraded images of each other until the relationship falters and the relationship ends. With no tools with which to work through the stresses within and associating those seemingly unresolvable stresses and every stress is resolvable through forgiveness. Now, forgiveness doesn't mean you keep blaming your partner and you let them off the hook. Forgiveness means, ah, 
In this interaction, I clenched my fist. I held my breath. I tightened my jaw. Ah, there's something coming up in me. And instead of associating this with and blaming my partner, remember one person I worked with, you know, in, in an intensive and, and she was just talking about, you know, look at the fear that I'm in and, and, and look what they've done. To it. It's like, well, why don't you stop and recognize how many times you've had that fear in your life? How long have you been living with that fear? Oh, God, right back from oh, that first relationship where I got abused. Oh, geez, right back from my early childhood. Oh, right back to my relationship with mom. Well, then why are you blaming the person you're standing in front of for this pile of garbage that you brought into the relationship from years of not being able to resolve it? Forgiveness, and if you haven't tapped into the forgiveness tool yet, we invite you to go to our website, www.whyagain.org. And when you tap into the website, if you look in the center of the page, there's a red and white bullseye. You might have to scroll down a little bit, click on it. It'll give you a set of instructions for going through the whole process of forgiveness. Also on the home page, if you look over to the right, you'll see all the social media links. The bottom one is a little red square with, a red, with an arrow in it. If you click on that little arrow, that takes you to YouTube. And we invite you to look in particular at two different videos. The first one has a picture of the world on the thumbnail, and it's entitled ACIM dash, what is the world, what is forgiveness? It'll tap you into what the whole forgiveness process is about and how it is that the mind generates the blame game. The second video to look at, if you look down the list, you'll see a cover, a blue cover of the book, Why Is This Happening to Me Again? There are also some videos, some new ones, actually. We've put, I put last week 16 new uh, videos up. Uh, they're, I don't know, 2 to 10 or 15 minutes uh, of um, pieces out of the new What is the World video that we've done. We've got a new two-hour What is the World. There's a mini two-hour, which is What is the World and Forgiveness, but there's a new two-hour video as well that we just completed, and we put 16 new links up for pieces of that. But in particular, so that's a blue cover book too, but that's Course in Miracles. Look for the cover of my book, and the first word in the title is PowerPoint. And that PowerPoint will take you through the whole process. By the way, a new uh, piece, we just upgraded our database and have upgraded uh, some things on our website. And you'll see that uh, Jeannie's made lots of changes. And in particular, one of the changes is if you go to whyagain.org, and up in the middle at the top, you'll see a link that says, join our mailing list. If you are not on our mailing list, you can click that, fill it out, and when you fill it out, we'll send you a free MP3 of the book, Why Is This Happening to Me Again? It normally sells for $10. Uh, free MP3 that you can load on your phone or load on your computer and, and go through the whole, it's actually an updated uh, version of Why Is This Happening to Me Again? And so you can certainly go in there. And if you're not on our mailing list and you want to keep posted on what's happening, we just uh, sent out our first newsletter uh, from the uh, the new upgraded system that we've uh, we've gotten into. So uh, so click right up near the top of the page in the center. You'll see join our mailing list. Click on that. Fill out the information, and we'll send you off an MP3 of why is this happening to me again? And actually, with in the newsletter, there is a um, is there a link on the site to the newsletter, Jeannie, if anybody didn't get it? 
Uh, nope, but I can put it out there. Oh. And I just tested oh, okay. the uh, sign-up sheet, and it's got an issue, so I'm working on it simultaneously here. So. Oh, okay. Oh, what fun. <laughs> and we do okay, have great. Dr. Phil. He's called in like four days in a row, and we haven't been able to get oh, to cool. him. Um, so okay. we do have him and also Gail's with us. Great. All right. Well, I just want to put a couple more thoughts into our intro, and that is that uh, – when we tie in, when we link through the file folder effect, what we refuse to resolve in the way of stress within us, it links our unresolved stresses to our brain's image of a partner. And then in doing so, when one associates internally unresolved stresses with a partner through the file folder effect, that's the cause of divorce. That's the cause of separation in families. And so to recognize that relationship has an awesome purpose in recovery and, you know, it's just this whole game is set up for one purpose and one purpose only. It's like the world abhors you being sick abhors you being uncomfortable, abhors you being in a dis-ease state. And so the world, you know, no matter how many times you try and take the geographic cure, no matter how many times you get rid of somebody in a relationship, no matter how many times you try to get away from somebody, somebody else is going to show up because that energy is in you and it's continuously broadcasting a signal that pulls somebody in to do it. Oftentimes, when people ask the question, well, you know, what did I do to deserve this? What, what did I – well, what came up for you when that happened? That's what you did. Well, what do you mean? That happened after they did what they did. No, it didn't. The fact that you held that energy in you is what drew to you the experience of somebody doing whatever it is that they did. And so life is giving you every opportunity it needs and it is designed to give you the opportunity to recover fully the truth of your being, which is that awesome presence of love. Let's say hello to Phil, Jeannie. So, um, Phil, if you're well, still out. Well, let's say ho- Go, Go ahead. ahead. <laughs> I was just going to turn Gail on there. Yeah, I was just going to say, let's say hello to Gail and see how the young lady is. I know Dr. Tim isn't going to be here today. He's got something else on his uh, schedule, a conference call to do today. So, young lady, we haven't heard from you in a couple of weeks. You were busy last week. How do you be? What's exciting in your world? I am well. Lots of things that are exciting in my world, and I'm very grateful. Everything that you talked about in your intro um, pretty much covered (laughs) my process. And I'm in really? healing crisis right now. So I'm grateful that you brought the healing you... crisis up. So here people are still <laughs> giving you opportunities to learn forgiveness? How magical is that? How cool. Uh, absolutely, absolutely. Um, I went on a great adventure to the the great state of Minnesota for an AA conference called Go for State. Um, they have Go for State and have had Go for State for 43 years, so this was the 43rd year of Gopher State in Bloomington, Minnesota. Uh, they gather at the Doubletree um, Hotel, and about 8,000 people converge on this hotel for the Memorial Day weekend. 
Wow. And that is where my sponsor lives, and that's where my grand sponsor lives. And then I also have sister pigeons that live there, and sister pigeons are um, women that my sponsor sponsors as well, besides me. Um, we call them cool. pigeons, or our sponsees are called pigeons because pigeons fly away, and then they come back, and they poop on people, and then they fly away again. And so that term, <laughs> I think, was coined in the late 30s, early 40s. <laughs> <laughs> it's been going on for a long time, hasn't it? Yeah. <laughs> that's, that's cool. I'd heard, I'd heard the, the thing pigeons before. I'd never heard why they do it, but that's so perfect. Yeah, it is perfect. It is it is very perfect. You start to help people, and then they poop on you, and then they go away. So anyway, well, fortunately, and then they come I've back. never had that experience. Yeah, well, I've never had that experience, fortunately, so working with people. Understood. <laughs> well, do you have anything you'd uh, like to share with us today about the recovery process or anything we can do to support you? Um, I, uh, I, I'm glad that you mentioned vitality because my vitality went up this weekend. And also my vitality went up working with other people with the Aramaic forgiveness. I was praying for openings. I wasn't going to force it on people. Um, one of the policies that we have in AA or one of the um, traditions that we have is um, attraction rather than promotion. So I wanted to make sure that if I had an opening to present this information to people, that it was based on the fact that it was God's divine timing or, you know, Ruka put this in action. And so that was definitely one of my requests. Um, and so I was able to um, I had three um, were experiencing headaches and so the opening was doing orthobiotomy on them and explaining that um, to them and how that works and of course they got the results from it and then where did you learn that and so that set up an opening um, for talking about still point breathing and to talk about the wake up sheet and we didn't get to do those things, or I didn't get to do, the, do those things with those ladies, but they're most definitely interested in hearing about it when we gather again in August. My grand sponsor has Fabulous. a gathering of all the women that she sponsors. So that was awesome. Um, and then the um, other opening is a sister pigeon who has fibromyalgia, and her husband's got COPD and some really severe health issues. And um, they had their... Uh, what is great about this particular group of people on my sponsor is that as soon as I get up, my only job is to get up to Minnesota and the rest of it is taken care of. And, and we were busy constantly and I got to do a flash mob um, because one of my sister pigeons proposed to um, her girlfriend and it was great to be able to just randomly do the splash mob and be, be comfortable enough in my skin to not do it perfect. But participation and the joy of being a part of that was, was huge. And then to celebrate um, a wedding anniversary right after the flash mob and um, just all the celebration and joy and connectedness um, that I wouldn't be able to experience no matter who was around. Um, they talked about alcoholics being very lonely, that we can't break through 
to make connections to other people, and that's why we drank. But even when we get to Alcoholics Anonymous we, and start working the steps, we really don't start to connect until we do step five, which is, um, you know, admitted to God, to ourselves, and to another human being the exact nature of our wrongs. And then when we start making amends is when we really start to connect um, to others. And um, so, yeah, feeling that connectedness and that joy and so after the um, anniversary, um, the sister pigeon that had uh, celebrated her wedding anniversary invited me over to her place to introduce her to a wake-up she, her and her husband, and to introduce her to the still point. And her husband got overwhelmed in the middle of the wake-up sheet. Um, and so we let him walk away. And and so we went ahead and finished with the wake-up sheet with her. It had great results, a lot of relief. And then we went and did a still-point breathing session, and that took us to like 2 o'clock in the morning. And she had some powerful openings with that. And, um, and, and that was great to be able to share that. And then um, the next day I have a, another sister pigeon who – has very, very, very severe health issues, a lot of digestive stuff. She had a gastric bypass um, for the to lose weight, and, and they butchered her. And she is still five, six years later is, re, you know, having a lot of complications Ow. and a lot of surgery. That's pretty heavy-duty stuff. Yeah, yeah. Heavy and duty so... Stuff. I went to her house. Um, she can't participate in a lot of the activities um, because of her condition. And so I went to her house to see her. I haven't seen her in two years. Um, in the past, I've done Reiki on her. And, of course, I gave her the choice. You know, do you want Reiki or can I introduce you to this other thing that I've been doing? And um, and so, anyway, we went through the, the worksheet process. Um, I didn't have time to to teach her how to do breathing uh, and do the breathing, but she got a lot of relief as well. And, um, and that increases my vitality. And I guess my question for you is that when you're teaching other people, does your vitality go up exponentially when you're doing that? Um, that was my experience. Absol- and so I- Absolutely. Absolutely. Yes. I can be in a funk and I kick in and start to t- talk and speak and, connect with people and a whole new opening happens for me every time. And, you know, with, with someone with as many challenges as she's got, one of the difficulties uh, for her is to hang around long enough and acquire the skills to work deeply enough to move through that level of insult energy. It takes, you know, uh, a whole lot of commitment to move things on that level, but it sounds like she's gotten a good start and we'll certainly uh, join you in holding the space for her to be able to move forward and peel layer after layer after layer. And I gave everybody the website, you know, to tell them to explore and peruse and um, they definitely have my phone number and they know how to get a hold of me. They have me on Facebook and to ask questions and also to call into the radio show. And I've also told everybody, hey, I'm on Wednesdays and um, to talk about recovery. And 
its correlations with the Aramaic forgiveness process. And so all those tools have been laid down at their feet, you know, for them to, you know, to explore. And, and I've offered my support and the support of the community as well. So it's up to them That's to awesome. pick it up and go from there. Um, the one sister well, pigeon, when we were working with her husband, um, she reported, I followed through, and she said that she's been having these crazy dreams. And I'm like, record them. <laughs> That's good. Yeah, good for looking. you. <laughs> for sure. Yeah, even that dream time can be very powerful if we're conscious and awake. And, you know, one of the uh, the things that ultimately happens, and I've seen people when they first start the work, that they kick into a space where they're in what you've heard me speak of before as process point where, you know, the veil of the temple, this barrier between the subconscious and the unconscious is open pretty much continuously and people are in continuous process. And that's an awesome place to be for as long as it lasts. It's a, it's a blessing. And I've seen it last for people, you know, a matter of minutes and I've seen it experienced it lasting for days, weeks. So it's just, you know, and, and the, when you realize in recovery, recovering the truth of being, that all we need to do is move out of this energy system what doesn't belong in it that gives us a false identity that causes us to forget or lose contact with the truth of who we are, then you realize that when you inherited a body-mind unit, you inherited a whole genetic history. Uh, In the Aramaic, they spoke of the sins of the fathers being passed to three and four generations. And, you know, I can remember hearing that and thinking that was some kind of threat. God's going to get us for what our, you know, forebearers did. But the truth of it is they were just telling us how physiology works, that, that we store literally the thoughts, the feelings, the dynamics in our lives that we don't resolve, we store holographically in every cell, including the sperm and the egg, and pass it on. So when one starts to open that veil, you know, we've, we've quoted the number before. If you do the math, in 30 generations, there are 1.7 billion lives. And when you recognize that your cleanup job is to delete, remove, or forgive the dynamics of all of your generations, it's a pretty chunky piece of work, isn't it? (laughs) It is true. Yes. It is true. Well, Jeannie tells us we've got another caller. Let's say hello. Okay. First, um, Phil City. Yeah, can you hear me? Hello? I got you. Okay. You're there loud and clear. Phil Phil texted me. He had an appointment, so he had to go. Uh, He had a client. But we do have two callers, but um, his text was in regards to what you were talking about with relationships. And, of course, he was raised in, uh, you know, in the church, as most people were. And and he said, how does that relate in Ephesians 5 and 6? Uh, Ephesians 5, it talks about the subjectivity and objectivity of the, the wife submitting herself to her husband, her husband loving the wife like Christ loved the church, and how does that fit in with this work? Um, and then that blends on into Ephesians chapter 6, which talks about putting on the armor of God that you can stand against the wiles, that we don't wrestle against flesh and blood, but against principalities and powers and rulers of darkness. And it goes on, but it talks about the armor being... Um, like the 
uh, girding your loins with the truth and the breastplate of righteousness and your feet shod with the gospel of peace and the shield of faith. So can you expand on how that relates to relationship that you were talking about as far as, you know, what does it mean about the wife submitting and the husband loving her like Christ loved the church? How do you see that? And now you're the one that we can't hear. You're challenged. <laughs> Excuse me. So if, if we look at it, first of all, you look at the antiquated language when it comes from the Aramaic and then it comes through the Greek and then it comes through the Old English to the New English. We hear all this breastplate stuff and all of that. We can sum it all up very simply in one word. Yes, you said, what's the first law? Rachma. That you recognize in the frontal lobes of your brain there is a filter and more and more as I study it and understand it, I think they're talking about the pineal gland. And you'll, know, you'll see if you do some studying the pineal gland, one of the worst things that happens, one of the things that destroys the pineal gland, which is a place where we connect directly to truth and being and love, is what they put in the water supply in every city in America. Halides, fluoride, chlorine. And it calcifies the pineal gland. And, you know, has that been purposely done to lock people out of the truth of being? I don't know. I have a sneaking suspicion that it has. And or it may be people who just, you know, well, we don't want to stay. We don't want to be in that space where we're always being bothered by the truth of what we're doing to ourselves and others. So when you strengthen yourself by keeping that space open in you and taking care of that connection to source, then you have a link and a connection to an energy that will, whenever the principalities and the darkness come of the hates, the fears, the rages, the guilt, the griefs, the, the, the murders, the slaughters, the abuses, the addictions of the generations, when those things start to come up, and when they start to come up, they draw others outside of us who are carrying the same load. And it looks like those others, uh, as we just got the reference of the pigeon, are pooping on us. When I realize that it's all about energy, if I gird myself with Rockway, if I keep myself connected to the active mind of love in me, then I am safe from all of that. And then when you look at it in terms of relationship and if you, if you look deeper into the whole relationship dynamic, relationship was designed to be a partnership. And that as Yeshua was a partner to the body of Christ that was spoken about as the church, that it, that it was here's someone who, having done their work, is holding the space of active love. And holding the space of active love is able to be that space for the whole body. And in the context of relationship, my offering would be that in order to be worthy of that which is spoken of, the person, the man in relationship in that case, has to have integrity and be doing their work first order of business. So that would be my take on it. 
Okay. Do you have any other thoughts told, in that I direction, sweetie? I just sent him a text and uh, told him to uh, listen to the archives on it. So, um, cool. And we do have a couple of callers. And the first one is a Skype caller, so it just says uh, 111. So you are on the air. Who do we have? Skype caller, give us a name. Where are you calling from? Welcome. How can we support you today? Is our Skype caller with us? Hello. Hey, we can hear you. Oh, you got hey. us. Hello. Yes, uh, Give us a name. Where are you calling from? Taking the call. Uh, just another traveler on the information superhighway. Awesome. Give us a name <laughs> to call you. Uh, you can call me Andy. Hey, welcome, Andy. How can we support you? Well, it's interesting. I've seen you, I, I saw your show a couple of times on Blog Talk, and uh, it's quite interesting that you're a naturopath. Uh, you know, it is it is pretty challenging living in a world that seems to be very much uh, in disorganization. Uh, I think it was Terrence McKenna who said uh, in one of his talks that uh, everyone's so worried about when Armageddon is going to happen. And uh, <laughs> he says you have to think about it as uh, Armageddon already happened. And then everything makes sense. <laughs> I'm, I'm paraphrasing, but absolutely, uh, I think yeah. he's right on track. And I think the Armageddon, <laughs> for most people, the 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 bat, you know, most people want to externalize it and put it out there. But the real battle of Armageddon is when you begin to recover and you get a taste of who you are being, and the non-being mind wants to do battle. It's like, no, no, I'm running the show. We're we're going to live the way our generations have lived. We're going to do what the world tells us to do. We're not going to go for this love stuff. And that's the real battle of Armageddon. And the battleground is the body. The traumas are taken yeah, out and reflect the of, diseases uh, and disorders. It's a very deep, uh, it's a very deep holistic uh, comment that you just made there. Because there are, like you just mentioned with the water as an example earlier on, there are so many aspects to what is going on. And, you know, it's such a, I mean, I don't want to say that it's uh, a good thing. But it's brilliant evil in a sense that, you know, if we could call it that. I mean, because there is a system running, obviously, where certain people or certain entities, whatever it might be, are benefiting from from part of this whole, you know, ecosystem uh, being, you know, disorganized on various different levels and in other places not so much. And and it's it's almost like if you start looking at it like a 3D matrix, you can see, you know, when you can see through walls. And you can actually see that there's certain areas that are not affected, and there's certain areas. I, I suppose that if you want to put it in scientific terms, um, I think there's there's a thing called uh, uh, geographic so, uh, social studies, or uh, it's actually uh, sociology. Yeah, geographic sociology, something like that. And uh, the uh, I'm pretty sure that that's what it, that was the name, geosocial. Uh, Anyway, I have to look it up again. But it's amazing. They actually study, uh, you know, population groups and how, you know, you see different areas where, where there's a knowledge base. Or usually around universities, for example, is the obvious one. Uh, you find a lot of wealth and there's a lot of uh, organizational structure, et cetera, et cetera, in any given, any given country in the world. And that's because that's where the knowledge center is. And therefore, people with knowledge, they know how to look after themselves better. They know how to do things in a more effective and efficient way. And I mean, I, I just, you know, off the top of my head, that's what I think about when you say that. You know, it's all about the knowledge base um, that we have. 
and so many people are you know removed from that knowledge base on so many on so many different levels so it's quite a deep thing yeah well i think the you know the knowledge base is one thing and it's powerful to connect with it you know as someone once said we stand on the shoulder of giants but also when we connect with the truth of being we connect with the source of knowledge and that source of knowledge can be even more important than the knowledge base we have and when you put the two together when you're in the center of a knowledge base and you connect directly to the source of knowledge i think a whole different level of truth is able to happen and you're right when you look at the resistance to it when you look at the dynamics of you know uh, people heading in the other direction it's brilliantly almost classic satanism and of course in aramaic the word satan means the resistor one who misleads and when you look at the genius of the mind in denial you know, you take the average person who lives in denial and you invite them to be responsible, for instance, for their pain. And they'll go into, but but that wasn't me. Look, I can tell you my whole story about how Charlie did it to me. And so their denial, their resistance leads them to thinking it's Charlie's fault, not their own responsibility. And then they've got a whole story about Charlie. And, and there's the Aramaic definition of Satan. It's a lowercase world the resistor, one who misleads. And most people are so misled once they enter into denial, oh, they've got a million stories to tell about everybody else and their innocent victims. And that's about as close to classic Satanism as you can get. I think that there's a very, you know, I mean, that's a very, I mean, when you make a statement like that, there's a huge metaphysical debate that one could have. You know, I think it's both ways. You know, I mean, if you look at generational Satanism, for example, uh, a lot of people, I mean, if we, if we take that to be something that exists, uh, you know, a lot of people then would, one would look at it and say, you know what, there's probably a reason why that community over there, you know, that happens to be, I don't know, let's say, um, you know, have, like, let's look at, you know, the uh, Enlightenment and, and, and Martin Luther and that sort of thing and what that pushed open uh, in terms of what people, what came out of that in the Middle Ages, uh, coming out of the Middle Ages. And how societies progressed, as opposed to, oh, let's say, which doctor is controlling a tribe in, you know, uh, an African nation where people are just attacking each other constantly because these witch doctors are saying, well, go over there and attack because, you know, the ancestor spirits told us that you must go and attack that tribe, um, you know. And <laughs> but what's changed, right? Um, <laughs> the high priest of well, media, you know, perhaps, uh, just more sophisticated. She- but at the end of the day, um, you know, I think, it, I think it comes from both sides. I think that there's, like you mentioned, genetics and you mentioned things like, uh, you know, cellular level stuff. And there could be some things going on there. Uh, it's very difficult for a person to sort of say off the top of their head if they haven't actually researched that. Well, that's absolute truth. Or well, I believe that. But at the same time, you know, there can be merit in what you're saying regarding the individual. I think, I think it's a very much interconnected thing. Absolutely. I'm in agreement with you. And, and I don't think the witch doctor concept is limited to the continent of Africa. Actually, it's global. Uh, Jeannie and no, I sure. have been I watching the last example. I was just picking it off yeah. the top of my head. Oh. Yeah. Oh, I'm going to throw in another example. We've been watching some uh, uh, national geographic specials on historical issues. 
and one witch doctor that they referred to, uh, there was actually a whole uh, scenario on this witch doctor that, uh, that took a group of people to go and attack another group of people, and they, they left their home country with 500,000 soldiers to attack another nation. This is in Europe. And they came back. And when they got back from their attack game, which this witch doctor led them on, there were 25,000 men left. 475,000 men lost their lives horribly. The witch doctor's name was Napoleon Bonaparte. Insanity, you know, it's just, it's, it's not limited to anywhere. Anytime one goes into the game of denial, I think or speak about somebody else as the cause of the pain that's inside of me, then there's going to be this game of attack that happens. And our, our goal is to make the tool of forgiveness available and forgiveness not being about letting somebody else off the hook, but about how I drop into the hidden parts of my own mind that hold my pain and my trauma. And the reason I would attack anyone is only because I have internalized pain. And what first century Aramaic forgiveness does in the gift that Yeshua gave was this tool of how to drop into the part of the mind that holds the unresolved pain and resolve it. So whether it's, you know, as I started out with the introduction, whether it's in our personal closest relationships or whether it's between two nations, as this thing with, uh, with Bonaparte between France and Russia, you know, the, the Tsar of Russia made a promise to Bonaparte, and Bonaparte didn't like the fact that he broke the promise, and it cost 475,000, you know, um, French lives and shattered 475,000 families. And, and that's just the extreme example from the personal to the, the global. And when each individual can take responsibility and takes a hold of this tool of forgiveness, then that which is in themselves that would cause attack and conflict resolves and we get to play a different game on the planet. I, I personally am, am really excited about the point where the, the principle of physics that Yeshua talked about where he said a little leavening leavens the whole loaf. And I think we can be assured he wasn't talking about bread. He was talking critical mass and physics when enough people do the work that they literally embody or incarnate as love and together create a literal critical mass energetic field that touches the whole planet when seven and a half million billion people wake up experiencing themselves in each other as the active presence of love what the game is going to look like it's going to be a whole different game and that's what we're here to, to support and making the tools it's a available. very good point it's a very good point about how physics works uh, you know, I mean, uh, that's uh, something that's uh, possibly a whole other show to figure out, you know, oh. where does it have to get to to change people's mindsets in any given situation? Yep. Well, that's why we're taking it one mind at a time. And unfortunately, we're down to, and I'd love to continue the conversation maybe tomorrow. Uh, we're down to the last few seconds, so I'm going to need to close the show out. We appreciate okay, everybody who's here with us. And blessings. Nice to connect with you, Andy. Look forward to doing it again. In the meantime, everybody, create the best year yet of your eternal life. It's an awesome gift to give the world. Blessings. Bye-bye. Thank you for listening to MindShifters Radio with the Forgiveness Doctor, Dr. Michael Rice, and myself, Jeannie Rice, 
as we present the Internal Aramaic Process of Forgiveness. We are here every Monday through Friday from 1 to 2 o'clock Eastern Time on Earth Angels Radio. For more on Michael, myself, or Aramaic Forgiveness, please visit www.whyagain.org. That's www.whyagain.org. Thank you.